from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. Last month, women dropped out of the U.S. workforce at a rate eight times higher than men, according to CNN. And a recent report from McKinsey and LeanIn.org found that one in four women are considering downshifting their careers or leaving the workforce due to COVID-19. Women in service industries have seen their jobs disappear, while those who are able to work from home are struggling to shoulder more responsibilities. Some experts warn that the pandemic could wipe out hard-won progress women have made in leadership and wages. We'll talk about how working women are faring during the pandemic and how to address the challenges. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. Women have been disproportionately impacted by the job losses during the pandemic, to the point that some are referring to today's recession as a she-session. Many of the pressures women already face in the workforce, such as the gender pay gap, barriers to advancement, and lack of flexibility have been exacerbated. The crisis could, however, usher in new policies, standards, and support systems for women across industries and income levels. Here with me to talk about all this is Alexis Krivkovich, senior partner with McKinsey and co-author of Women in the Workplace 2020 report. Welcome to the program, Alexis Krivkovich. Krivkovich. I'm sorry, I'm again getting that right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. And we also have Angelica Perez-Litwin, clinical psychologist and founder of Latinas Think Big, a network of professional women, and Lumen, a modern psychotherapy practice. Welcome, Angelica Perez-Litwin. Thank you. And Serena Khan, chief executive officer of Women's Foundation of California. Welcome to the program, Serena Khan. Thanks so much. And Alexis Krivkovich, I'd like to start with you and some of what the McKinsey Workforce Study told us. Why are women facing greater job loss than men, and where are we seeing the biggest impacts? Absolutely. So the headline here is that we are facing a crossroads in corporate America today. And the reason for that is on one side, this pandemic, while a humanitarian crisis at its heart, has created an opening for flexible work. And that's a good thing because that's the number one thing women have said in the past. They need to advance more in the workplace environment. On the flip side, one in four women today is saying because of the pandemic and the context it's creating in their workplace environment and their home environment, they may need to step back or step out of the workforce. And one in four equates to two million women. That would unwind years of progress of women's advancement in the workplace. And it's just something we can't afford to lose. And we're really seeing the gendered nature of work here too, right, Serena Khan? Not only where caretaking responsibilities end up falling when push comes to shove, but also who falls into this essential worker category and the disproportionate impact on black and brown women too. We're looking at a really layered intersectional issue here. That's exactly right. Uh, All of us are being impacted by the pandemic, but we're not all being impacted in the same way. So the gendered impacts of this pandemic are particularly profound for especially women of color, working moms, gender non-conforming folks. This pandemic is highlighting problems that we've needed to work on together to solve pre-the pandemic. So we know, for example, in California, pre-COVID, two-thirds of uh, tipped workers, part-time workers, minimum wage earners 
were women and primarily women of color. And even though California is the wealthiest state in the nation, it also has the highest rates of poverty. And the people who are living in poverty in California are women of color and their kids. And so when we think about this pandemic, whether um, it's women who are the essential workers who are making up 80% of our healthcare workforce, or the retail and grocery workers, the essential workers that are still working, or on the flip side, they're the ones that have lost their jobs because um, the majority of us are working in the restaurant industry uh, or other uh, retail industry that have lost significant numbers of jobs. So it's a very gendered epidemic. And Serena Khan, you've spoken about how there's no going back to normal, but that normal wasn't that good to begin with when it came to gender equity in the workforce. That's right. Um, You know, this pandemic is shining a light on all that was wrong with our country, our world, our state. And so, you know, as hundreds of thousands of women leave the workforce to manage what is really an unmanageable amounts of caretaking, remote schooling, you know, our child care costs were making up uh, upwards of, you know, 60, 70% of a single mom's income, that's not sustainable. And so, you know, we have an opportunity here to think about what is the future that we want. Um, And we can change some of those systems. We have an opportunity to really think about care work and to value care and compensate that work fairly as we figure out how to move forward. The, The pandemic has really forced us to reckon with how much care we all need, whether we're caring for our children, for each other, for ourselves, for our elders. Um, And so we can build some new solutions. And for us at the Women's Foundation California, we have believed since our founding in 1979 that people who are closest to the problems in their communities are also closest to the solutions. And so we have innovative ideas coming out of community based leaders about what we can do uh, post-pandemic. So I think it's important for us now to keep, you know, make sure that people are getting their basic needs met. So, you know, one of the other things that we saw very early on in the pandemic is that not everybody was safer at home, Uh, that rates of domestic violence were spiking upwards of 40 to 80 percent in all of California's 58 counties. Uh, so we, and, and yet, so as the need went up, um, the the situation for the shelters was that they had to, that they had actually less physical space because of the need to do physical distancing. Right. So, so there's a lot that, yeah. yeah, so there's just a lot that we're seeing and that we can think about solving. Yes, and we're definitely later in the program going to hear more about these these possible solutions. Um, but earlier this week, we put out a call to women to share their stories of how the pandemic has impacted their work life. And you can also join us now, too, with your stories, questions, comments. Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Email us at forum at kqed.org or post on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Uh, so here's an audio message we received from Sarah sharing her experience. I'm an educational psychologist in Oakland. And um, I've definitely had to downshift my career, close my private practice and my office um, so that I can focus on supporting my kids. And my experience is that I was just kind of getting to the point where my kids were old enough where I could start to pull away and 
build my career more and focus um, and not just have the time but the mental space to think of myself as a professional. Um, and now with COVID, it's not just about childcare, but also about how much of my brain is being used up to think about whether my kids are okay and happy and who's going to be taking care of them. Um, so that has an effect to that kind of increase in the mental load of what we're carrying for our families and our kids. And Helica Perez-Littman, what's your response to a story like Sarah's and the important point she's bringing up about how it does require mental space to be a professional and the effects of losing that space to stress, to increase caretaking, to supporting remote schooling, et cetera? Well, um, she's actually echoing a problem that uh, so many women, especially even professional women, are having. It's interesting that she's an educational psychologist. I, uh, in my private practice, have never seen that many patients come in um, with depression and anxiety and they're grieving, uh, they're feeling super overwhelmed. Um, the anxiety level is just to, I mean, it's, it's, it's an unprecedented level. And so we are seeing women having a really hard time juggling, finding their space, even they're just a space to kind of quiet down. Um, there's this constant chatter in our brains, in our head about what we should be doing. The expectations that we had before the pandemic was actually pretty high for what it means to be a mom, a good mom, or what it means to be a good employee. And so all of a sudden, all that, that expectation has actually catapulted because we have all these different roles. So our plate are more than full. It used to be full mm-hmm. for any work, working mom, but now it's not, it's so full that it's actually becoming a mental health problem. And one of the things that I see in this conversation around uh, working women is, is the, the gap in conversation, the lack of conversation about how this pandemic and all these different roles that we now have is impacting our emotional well-being. That's a huge problem. And for some reason, that conversation is not at the forefront. And that's something we'll continue to unpack. I know we'll have more comments and calls coming in soon. But um, before we get to that, after the a break that we have coming up, I wanted to touch base with uh, Alexis Krivkovich again. What's at stake here? Kind of what is the impact this recession is having on women's gains in the workforce? Yeah, well, other speakers have already uh, talked to one of the most impacted groups, which is mothers. And we see that very clearly. Mothers make up a significant portion of our workforce and they disproportionately hold the household responsibilities. This was true before the pandemic. We called it the double shift. It's now effectively become the double double shift. We're seeing uh, mothers in particular saying they're doing three extra hours of work a day. That's a whole nother halftime job on top of the job. And it's not only the hours they're spending, but as others have noted, the mental health and the energy associated with it. But it's also disproportionately impacting senior women. And this is really critical because it's the space where we need the most gains to happen. In the executive ranks, we still only see one in five leaders being women today. And yet senior women are describing at similar rates the need to step out or step back from their workforce responsibilities because of these issues of additional workload, burnout, et cetera. If we do that, we will lose five to 10 years of progress that we've made in terms of the visibility of our women in leadership. And the cascade of that effect is profound because these women in leadership roles in companies don't only represent themselves, but they're very often the caretakers of the inclusion, diversity, and equity efforts for their organizations. In fact, 
they're one and a half times more likely to be allies to women of color, to help pull up and support others who are diverse in their workforce environment. So we need them not only because of the role they directly play and the impact they have in the business environment, but because of the important role they're playing in trying to change the environment for everyone around them. We're talking about the disproportionate impact the pandemic recession is having on women with Alexis Krivkovich, senior partner with McKinsey and co-author of the Women in the Workplace 2020 report, and Helica Perez-Litwin, clinical psychologist and founder of Latinas Think Big, a network of professional women, and Lumen, a modern psychotherapy practice, and Serena Khan, chief executive officer of the Women's Foundation California. And with you, our listeners, give us a call, 866-733-6786. Women, we want to hear about your pandemic experiences. Has the pandemic caused you to drop out of the workforce? How has the pandemic impacted your career and life? What has helped you manage your work and family obligations? Uh, We're at KQED Forum on Twitter and Facebook, and you can email us at forum at kqed.org. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. Back more after the break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. If you're just joining us, we're talking about how working women are faring during the pandemic. I'm joined by Alexis Krivkovich, senior partner with McKinsey and co-author of Women in the Workplace 2020 Report, and Helica Perez-Litwin, clinical psychologist and founder of Latinas Think Big, a network of professional women and Lumen, a modern psychotherapy practice, and Serena Khan, chief executive officer, Women's Foundation California. A couple comments we've received from listeners. Melanie writes, I've had to reduce my hours at work to manage balancing everything. And Ibru writes, I had to reduce my hours by about 50% when schools closed and our seven-year-old had to stay home. Serena Khan, when it comes to child care, it's, I know we touched on it a bit before, it seems as if moms across the income spectrum are struggling with this issue. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, child care is an issue, but, you know, moms are, as we've heard the other speakers say, have, having to become, you know, house cleaners, teachers, cooks, as well as trying to hold down a job. So that is really unsustainable. And we have to figure out, um, you know, what we can do to provide the kinds of supports uh, that moms and other women need to be able to support their families, and be contributors to the state's economy. And what is being done on the ground to support women? Just maybe an example of two, I know, of the organizations, maybe grantees that you've worked with in the foundation. Well, very early on in the pandemic, when we at the Women's Foundation California began to work from home, we recognized that um, our grant partners, very important community leaders, movement leaders who have made California the great state that it is, uh, would have difficulty p- potentially shifting to a work from home model. So the first thing that we did, and I think that anybody who has access to resources, whether they're individuals, institutions, organizations, businesses, is to support their workers. Um, In our case, our grant partners, we sent additional supplemental funds because we thought they might not have laptops or Zoom memberships. Um, And so uh, what we're seeing is similar to the stories that, you know, you're uh, broadcasting today is that women in particular 
are having a really hard time trying to take care of everything in terms of, you know, perhaps working in small apartments where you've got two or three kids uh, doing distance learning, everybody sitting around a dining room table together um, and, uh, you know, trying to get your work done, trying to do the distance learning, trying to, you know, make sure that you and then in some cases now we're seeing all these reports of women leaving the workforce. Um, so it's really, um, you know, just the, the gendered nature of this pandemic is very profound. Let's go to caller Teresa in San Francisco. Teresa, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit of my experience. I'm an essential health care worker, so I can't work at home. Sometimes I have to leave the house. I have three school-aged children, and my partner is trying to keep his business afloat with a PPP loan, and he's on a different floor, so there's an adult in the house. But when I leave, I have the worksheets laid out. I hope the Zoom link is working, and then I try and go and do my career and get home. And I receive terrible marks on my kindergartner's progress report, saying she sometimes gets up, turns off the camera, uh, she should stay in her seat, and you know she's not completing her work. And I just feel terrible because... I can't be there physically to guide her the way some other families are able to do it. And I have contemplated drawing back in my career some, and I put so much into it, and mine is very male-dominated. So if I go to a professional conference, it's 80% guys and 20% women, and I hate to pull back when we're making strides in that area. So I just feel terrible. I feel like my kids are being penalized for me being a healthcare worker and having to leave the house. That's all. Oh, thank you, Teresa, for sharing your story and for the work that you're doing during this pandemic. And Helica Perez Litwin, do you have Litman, do you have any thoughts in response to Teresa's story? Well, the first the, the first thought and then emotion I had was compassion. I just want you to know I, we feel so much compassion for for women like yourself um, and so many women out there who are experiencing that. And thank you for the work that you do. But I understand. I hear you. I think there's a sense of guilt. Normally, moms feel guilty as it is. And so right now, with this have with this we have this renewed uh, sense of guilt um, that we're not doing enough or that our children like like this in this situation may be falling behind. And what I normally tell parents and women that I mentor is that, you know, it's gonna be okay. You know, they it's you we are in a very new normal. And so the expectation that we had prior to the pandemic is has to be a very different one. And children are very resilient and they will get through this. And even at the end of the day, if things don't turn out to be as expected, they're gonna be fine. And, you know, just trying to do your best with what you have. And the second thing I normally um, advise people to do is try to seek counseling, even if it's, you know, even if you don't have something that's very severe going on, just that stress that you're carrying with yourself, having the opportunity to talk to someone, a mental health professional, I think that would be so important. However, not everyone has access to mental health services. And in, you know, in lieu of that, I also recommend what I call uh, um, a life mentor, you know, finding someone uh, in your circle of, or network of friends that you trust, that has had similar experiences of life challenges, but has also been very resilient and have someone kind of give you advice and just have a, an ear, you know, to listen to you. Um, in the Hispanic community, we have something called comadres, which is usually a woman who becomes very close to a family. And she's someone that is wise, 
has had a lot of life experiences and she's there for that woman, for that parent. We don't have that in, in the American society, but we call them life mentors. And if you could find someone like that to even just talk to or go on a walk with, I think that would be so helpful. But I just want to let you know that I have so much compassion for what you're going through. It is very hard. It is very difficult. And it sounds like a lot of your your advice could apply to this comment as well from Celine, who writes, I've been laid off from my job due to COVID-19 and have decided to pull my child out of his school. I've decided to homeschool my second grader because I wasn't happy with him spending so many hours on Zoom classes. I have now teamed up with another mother to educate our kids at home following our own curriculum. My husband is working full time and I've decided to take my time reentering the workforce. I sometimes wonder if I'm hurting my career by making that choice, but all in all, it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make until we sort things out. And Alexis Krivkovich, we're also looking at a burnout factor here, right, with balancing everything, like the earlier comments from uh, listener Melanie, um, both when it comes to childcare and also other factors, too. Can you speak to some of those? Well, that's absolutely right. And that, that's clearly echoed in the comments so far. Women are describing, in particular, the sensation of burnout. And it comes in multiple forms. So one we've already talked about is these increased workloads and expectations. And while we wish they sat equally across men and women, they do not. In fact, even as women work more, they tend to still hold more of the household elder childcare responsibilities. And that perception is not shared and well understood. So over 70% of men who are fathers will say they're equally holding the household responsibilities that have come with COVID but only about 40% of mothers agree with them. And so there's something here also in the perception of how much is sitting on the shoulders of women today. And are we actually really realizing and accepting that in the workplace environment and making the appropriate accommodations that are needed? Um, Mothers in particular are very worried about their performance being judged negatively because they feel this sense of pull of the other responsibilities. Um, There's also, the added challenge of everyone is describing this sensation that we need a new playbook for those who are now trying to operate in a virtual world. So it's great that we gave up the commute, but now we sleep at the office because the office comes to us. And the sense that there are no hours of the day that are out of bounds for work calls, for expectations, um, has sort of taken that potential of flexibility and eliminated it from many people's lives. And that's at the heart of a lot of what we hear on this issue of burnout. And it sounds like this definitely applies to uh, listener Crystal, who I'll put on next. Crystal, you're on the air. Hi, thank you so much. Um, before I kind of share, I did want to just say uh, thank you to your previous caller, who I know is an essential worker. And, um, you know, definitely as a mother, I, I feel, you know, sympathy and, and wanted her to know that we all hear her. Um, I am very fortunate to have a role in tech where I can work from home. Uh, but in the beginning of the pandemic, it, you know, the work fell uh, disproportionately on me um, when my husband's work really took precedent. Um, so I was very, again, fortunate to be able to take a leave option um, and, you know, not have to think about work. But now actually coming back into the workforce, um, you know, trying to regain my previous status, um, having to think about our next performance review, I am very concerned about you know, the way that our, you know, tech company will be looking at mothers or even if that's a consideration they're going to make given the disproportionate work that's that's falling on mothers. Um, 
And then secondary to that, there is a lot of internal, um, I don't I don't want to call it animosity, but maybe confusion about kind of what people are doing when they're taking leave to care for family members. Um, you know, we have coworkers who are saying, oh, you know, you had a great vacation. Welcome back. <laughs> um, so there's that added sense of pressure and just um, not being understood. Thank you for sharing your story, Crystal. And back to you, Alexis Krivkovich. In response to, you know, the, the worry about also the performance review and being able to take into consideration kind of this, this new reality, do you see companies kind of rising to the occasion to, to really respect kind of the, the shift that's happened right now? Absolutely. Uh, but this is an area that needs a lot more focus and attention. Um, you know, number of companies are trying to think about how criteria need to change. Um, in the context of evaluating performances. It's just not the same environment (laughs) that people are working in, as as, um, many callers have noted. Um, But there are these difficult questions of how we reflect the reality that this um, is not a voluntary experiment, but it is a pandemic. And the way that's falling on our workers varies in a number of different ways. And we've talked a lot about mothers in particular, but it's true for many other groups as well. And companies are gonna have to wrestle with those questions. And we see a number of them starting to think about how they're going to handle performance reviews, how they're going to think about criteria, the flexibility they need to offer. It's really a shift to not just take ownership for your employee during the hours they're with you in the office, but take ownership for their whole health, which includes mental health resources. It includes flexibility and setting boundaries we see all of these as factors that are being considered. And Angelica Perez-Lipman, with regards to the comments around experience, the, the imbalance with caretaking and home care duties, how do you get your partner to do more around the house and share the load and maybe to approach your company with your needs? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that one of, one of the um, unused uh, <laughs> resources we have is our ability to talk, to communicate with our partners and just share how we're feeling, but also be objective about it. Um, to say, look, you know, last night I did this and I did that without having, you know, being too emotional about it and try to negotiate how else your partner can help you. But another thing that I, I often do myself as a parent is that I delegate chores to my children. Um, we often sort of um, infantilize our kids too much. And so having them engaged, whether you have a teenager helping with cooking or cleaning, basic things that really take a lot of time and energy, delegating some of those chores to them and helping them become more responsible for this situation, I think is very empowering for them. And it's also very helpful to the parents. So being able to just manage the household in a more effective way that will reduce the risk for burnout, I think that would be really useful to parents. And just getting a couple more comments from listeners. Catherine writes, I'm a nurse in San Francisco and mother to a 22-month-old. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was isolating myself from my family because I was on the front lines. Our daycare closed and our parents were watching our daughter five days of the week. With restrictions loosening, we have decided to still keep our daughter out of daycare and I am getting monthly COVID testing. As much as I would like to stay home with our daughter or reduce my hours, as a homeowner in the Bay Area, it's nearly impossible. I am extremely grateful to have family around to help with childcare needs. 
And Madeline writes, hello, I'm 66 and have been a teacher for nearly 40 years. I hoped to work for a few more years before retiring. I completed the 2019-2020 school year, but opted to not return this fall. Instead, I am tending to the needs of my 92-year-old mother, who requires round-the-clock care. It is a lot of work with no pay. I am struck by our failings as a culture to support people who care for aged family members. Serena Khan, I know that you've mentioned, too, that elder care, it isn't just child care, but elder care um, is a factor to consider um, that sometimes ends up falling on women. Can you speak to to what you're saying with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in general, caregiving falls to women. Women do the majority of caretaking in this country, in California, uh, whether, as we've heard, that's as child care workers, as teachers, as essential workers in healthcare, um, but we also are charged with caring for our elder family members, and it just has forced us to reckon with how much care we all need. Um, and and then what is even more disconcerting is that prior to COVID, we were, you know, dealing with a wide pay gap between men and women and the imbalance of care. And so now, that has just become, uh, you know, COVID is, sh- is shining a light on the disparities uh, that women were facing in terms of income, in, ca- in terms of caregiving. And in California, one of the things that we did at Women's Foundation of California is partnered with the California Budget and Policy Center to create an online tool that's called the Women's Wellbeing Index. And it provides data on a lot of indicators, but one of the things that really strikes me about this data is that two line items in a a single mom's budget, and this was prior to COVID, and now I think it's been exacerbated, is that childcare and housing were were more than 100% of what a single mom brings home. So upwards of 70% for housing, uh, upwards of 60% for childcare, which means that there's nothing left over for, uh, you know, food, for uh, transportation of people who are needing to go to essential work to get there. So, um, so you layer all of that on top of each other, and then there's elders that we have to care, care for. So people are having to make some very difficult choices. We're talking about the disproportionate impact the pandemic recession is having on women. I've been joined by Alexis Krivkovich, senior partner with McKinsey and co-author of Women in the Workplace 2020 Report, and Helica Perez-Litwin, clinical psychologist and founder of Latinas Think Big, a network of professional women, and Lumen, a modern psychotherapy practice, and Serena Khan, chief executive officer with the Women's Foundation California. And we're talking with you, our listeners. Women, we want to hear about your pandemic experience experiences. How has the pandemic caused you to drop out of the workforce? How has the pandemic impacted your career and life? What has helped you manage your work and family obligations? Give us a call 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Post your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter. We're at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. And just sharing one more comment um, before the break. Noel tweets, men at least need to take over more home duties. It's ridiculous that in 2020, men are not stepping up. Though, of course, it's not that simple, with men usually earning more. Also, how about creating childcare co-ops? They were big in the 1970s, and it seems the time is now to restart this. 
And Chris writes, I was planning to change the direction of my career in higher education from just instruction to more community outreach with children and families. But due to the pandemic, I didn't take the risk of losing the job I had, even though it's unsatisfying. I just feel stuck. Uh, So we'll hear more of your experiences and more from our experts when we're back after the break. I'm Ariana Prail and Fermina Kim. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. We're talking about how the pandemic is impacting women with Alexis Krivkovich, senior partner with McKinsey and co-author of Women in the Workplace 2020 report, and Helica Perez-Litwin, clinical psychologist and founder of Latinas Think Big, a network of professional women, and Lumen, a modern psychotherapy practice, and Serena Khan, chief executive officer with the Women's Foundation California. Um, Alexis Krivkovich, in terms of that comment we got from Chris that I read before the break where didn't want to take the risk of losing the job they had, even though it's unsatisfying and they just feel stuck. um, Do you think that will be more is part of the trend and part of kind of the stagnation that's happening in addition to the job loss that we're seeing? It's absolutely a huge worry. We already see pre pandemic that, in fact, the biggest inhibitor to women advancing is not their appetite or ambition, but it's the structural challenges that get in the way. And what happens for women is that very first promotion that sets up a pathway for continued progress. So things like I'm going to switch from educator to taking on a broader role or expanding my opportunity set does not happen at the same rate. So for every 100 men that leap forward into that first opportunity, only 85 women do. And if you look at women of color, that disparity is even greater. For Latina women, it's only 71 women. And for black women, it's only 58. And the reason this is so important is because it speaks to the other comments that have been made about earning power. If we don't set women up early to progress, they start to feel very quickly like when a trade-off has to be made, if they even have the ability financially to choose to step forward or back, that they should be the one to step back if they have someone else in the household who can earn more. And so we really need to help not only um, enable women to stay in, but stay in reaching forward to those opportunities, because there's a great risk here that all that extra energy gets even more pulled towards the myriad of other responsibilities that women hold disproportionate to men around household, elder care, you know, caring for people with disabilities, children, homeschooling, chef. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're just adding hats and hats and hats to the responsibilities. All right, let's go to caller L in San Francisco. L, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning. You know, I just wanted to uh, share my experience. I've been working with private companies for 30 years as a branding consultant. And this has been an entrenched problem since I began my career. And women, as a single parent, luckily I had a partner who helped cooperatively and we shared childcare. But women who are married with husbands, I think, have it far worse 
because they end up doing a lot more of the work, doing shouldering a lot more of the burden. But every all women suffer from the intrinsic and systemic demands that the workplace, especially in technology companies, make on people to perform and produce. And they have still not addressed, as they might other forms of discrimination, the um, overwhelming burden on women. And they need to step up and step in and lean into this problem. Not just women. <laughs> um, they need to take up the mantle because otherwise it's just a problem that's going to get worse. And as much as, you know, I'm horrified at the pandemic like everybody else, it, I hope that that revelation becomes abundantly clear, sufficient to make some real change for women. Thanks. And men, I, I should say, men also suffer from, from these sorts of, you know, productivity and deadline demands that companies enforce in order to drive up, you know, they, and meanwhile, they're making you know, billions of dollars on the stock market. Hmm. How is, is, anyway. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for your comments, Elle. And Alexis Krivkovich, back to you. You've described this point in time as a crossroads. Where do you see the most potential for supporting women, um, kind of what Elle was alluding to, and, and where do you see the most danger in perpetuating the backslide we're experiencing now? Absolutely. Well, the real potential here is to capture the silver lining, which is that we have been forced in many ways to create a much larger experiment around flexibility and virtual work. Companies are saying, virtually all of them, almost 100% say, we're not going back. We're going to have more of this in the workforce. Now, this doesn't work for everyone. If you're an essential or frontline worker, you don't receive that flexibility. But for many women, we've enabled that. But it's come with all these externalities we've been talking about um, that are impacting negatively. And yet, Employees are still saying, eight out of 10 of them, I feel less productive. If you could get rid of all that noise around me, and I wasn't also being school principal and everything else, I feel less productive. And so I do think we have the potential to use this as an opportunity to tap into new talent markets. If you're a company that often doesn't hire outside of a local geography, that geography may not have um, some of the diversity you, you greatly need. It should open up some of that flexibility over time. That's the silver lining that we need to try and achieve. But to get there, the biggest risk, the red screaming light, is this potential that we lose all these women before that happens, that they make the really difficult choices that are being talked about here. And we started at the beginning describing how it's not equally distributed. That is especially true for women of color. Women of color are far more likely to be a single earner and not have flexibility and choice they're more likely to be in an environment where they are an only, which means they show up and they represent not only themselves and the work they do, but they have to shoulder the burden of the responsibility of representing their race, entire categories of people having extra scrutiny uh, associated with that environment. And because of that, they're at the greatest risk in this moment of really being left behind. And so what companies have to focus on here is not just applauding the progress we've made in enabling amount of virtual work to work for us in this experiment that, that none of us chose, but to actually ensure that we're very focused on those communities that are at greatest risk. And we're, we're ensuring that we're watching out for and caretaking those needs specifically. 
Jillian writes, as a mother, I find one of my biggest and toughest jobs is having the mental space for everyone's for everyone else's emotions. It has always been this way, but during COVID, it is even more so. My freelance graphic design work has trailed off during this time, and when I do have work, it's challenging to stay focused. And Helica Perez Lipman, uh, any thoughts for Jill- Jillian's comment? Yeah, well, that's definitely a uh, that's definitely a very hard thing to do to be able to be focused and and you know compartmentalize what we need to do. Um, I say to you know take a break. Um, I know it sounds like so simple, and we talk about that all the time. But just taking a five minute break, ten minute break, go somewhere. I've had women who actually are on the phone talking to their friends in the closet, and I know that sounds weird, <laughs> or in the bathroom is really the only place that they can find some sort of solitude. Um, so whatever you need to do, just take five ten minutes to clear your mind. There's of course the whole meditation, um, yoga, but who has time for that, right? So taking the five, 10 minutes uh, to either connect to someone, take a quick uh, walk, um, and also just doing creative things like, you know, whether it is doing something like playing games or something creative or doing something you're really passionate about, that tapping into that creative side that, you know, that right brain uh, might be actually something that helps you relax and be more centered and, you know, be able to focus more. Um, But yeah, I think that taking like that whole self-care comes into play when it comes to feeling very heavy in your your head and having all these moving thoughts in your head that are grabbing your attention when you really need to be focused on the work you have to do and you're in in the care you have to provide. And Serena Khan, part of your work with Women's Foundation California has involved asking the questions of what government can do, what philanthropy can do, and how we reimagine systems so they work better for all now that the pandemic has exposed even more cracks in the existing structures. What potential solutions are you seeing emerge so far? Yeah, there's so many potential solutions. Um, You know, I think it's important what Angelica just said is that, you know, we need to dig deep into ourselves about what each of us can do to um, really improve our mental health. And we also really need structural change. We can't put all of this on individuals to figure out what are innovative solutions. Plenty of people are coming up with innovative solutions, but we need structural change. So for example, um, you know, at the Women's Foundation California, we have a Women's Policy Institute where we have been training grassroots community leaders to um, develop solutions to the problems that they're seeing in their community. So some of the bills that you might recognize um, is the Domestic Worker Bill of Rights was uh, came out of the Women's Policy Institute um, a few years ago. Parent leaders um, uh, who are advocating for increased subsidies for childcare were able to get a bill signed by the governor that um, if you're taking uh, English as a second language or Uh, trying to get your high school degree, that that now is classified as job training so you can access subsidized childcare. So those are just some examples of the kinds of solutions that um, the leaders that we're supporting are enacting. Another one that was just signed by Governor Newsom is unlawful employment practice. So we need more policies that support workers. And this is a Um, a a bill that was authored by Senator Hannah Beth Jackson and provides job protected leave for 
employees of employers with um, five or more employees to either bond with a new child or to care for a family member's serious illness or their own serious illness. So we, we really need to look to the kinds of structural change that protect workers, um, that provide for flexible workplaces, generous benefits. Um, and, you know, one of the things I think there's always opportunity in crisis. And uh, I think Alexis pointed to this, which is that you know, there we 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 need to think about what we're learning in this moment. And one of the things that I, you know, continually ask the staff at the Women's Foundation California is, of what we're doing now, what do we want to carry into the future? So for us as an employer, um, we very quickly realized because we have so many moms on our staff um, uh, and others, and even those of us who don't have kids are still having to grapple with the fact that we're living in a global pandemic. And so one of the first things we did was we went to a four-day work week just to give people an opportunity to um, reflect, uh, you know, rejuvenate um, and or spend time with their family. And what we've seen actually is that there's plenty of research out there that shows that a shortened work week actually increases productivity. And I can say that the staff team at the Women's Foundation of California is doing some of its most best and creative work. Um, and that is about supporting community leaders to be effective policy advocates, to be, um, you know, in communities, to be organizing, to be building coalitions, uh, and to really raise the volume on the fact that we need more women in leadership, no matter what sector you look at, whether it's philanthropy where I work, the nonprofit sector, healthcare, media, uh, government, women are disproportionately underrepresented in leadership. And so the more women we have in leadership, the more policies you're gonna see like the ones that we are enacting at the Women's Foundation of California. Another thing that we did that I think could be a model for other businesses and organizations is to increase paid family leave. So we have a uh, we increased ours from four months to six months um, uh, leave that people can take to take care of family members or themselves. So these are examples. Um, there are plenty more, and most of them are coming uh, from community leaders who are uh, living with the problems and seeing very yeah. clearly what some of the solutions can be. We're talking about how the pandemic is impacting women. Um, this is Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. And another comment that we got, uh, a listener writes, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I left my job in 2018 and was ready to get back into the workforce in February. Now all of the care for my two kids falls on me. I worry that with two years of not working plus the pandemic, I will be so far behind other applicants that I will never get back into the workforce. It's crushing to think I may never have a career again. Alexis Krivkovich, I mean, we're getting a lot of these comments. It's clear that this is... Um, a top concern. Any thoughts in response to that listener's comment? Oh, I, I feel for this individual. It's uh, it's absolutely something we saw coming out of the 2002 and 2008 financial crises in the U.S. that women exited at higher rates in those moments, both voluntarily and involuntarily, and then it took them longer to get back in. Um, and so it's a very real concern and stress that um, that folks are feeling um, and very legitimate. Uh, what I would say in the spirit of hopefulness um, and something to focus on is, you know, companies are saying they anticipate more than three quarters of them that they will begin um, in this next wave of recovery 
thinking about talent pools and hiring in a more flexible way meaning they won't just be looking for individuals who live within a 30 mile radius of a headquarters or an office space. And for many women that could open up a lot of opportunities because we know that two thirds of women are in dual career households. Um, they're far more likely to not only be juggling their own choices about optimizing for a job, but also somebody else's, which can make moving for great opportunities a challenge. And so I think that's one potential bright spot to certainly focus on. Allison writes, to all of my sisters, please do what you can to support others and to support yourselves, and please support all of us by voting. Vote for programs close to your heart, early childhood education, support for moderate and low-income families, for child care and housing, for better care options for seniors. And Angelica Perez-Lipman, uh, what are, I guess, what is yeah keeping you hopeful in terms of um, what we can learn from this time that we're in and, and what women can be doing? and just solutions that we, we might see to this issue coming out on the other side? Well, as the uh, other speakers uh, mentioned earlier, you know, that the transformation that perhaps is going to happen within the workplace, what it means to be a professional, what it means to be working. Um, but one thing that I did wanted to mention is that what one trend that we're seeing within the Latina community, um, Latinas around the country, is that they're leaving corporate America or the regular, you know, a job that they may have, service-oriented job. They're leaving their jobs to launch businesses. Latinas are among the fastest-growing business women in the country, and so they see this time as an opportunity to perhaps really reflect and think about the things that they always wanted to be, that passion project that they had. And so I see that as a as a positive thing. At the same time, they don't have the resources, the financial backing, um, the training that they would need to be able to launch a successful business and grow it. Um, so an opportunity there, but of course it needs that support um, that they will need. Uh, so I see that as a, as a great thing and, and it's happening. I see it happening right now um, and we just need to be there for these women. Well, thank you all for your insights and, and your thoughts on this subject, obviously one that we're going to continue to discuss and, and grapple with. Uh, we've been talking about how the pandemic is impacting women with Alexis Krivkovich, senior partner with McKinsey and co-author of the Women in the Workplace 2020 report. Thanks for joining us, Alexis. Thank you for having me. And thanks to Angelica Perez Litwin, a clinical psychologist and founder of Latinas Think Big, a network of professional women, and Lumen, a modern psychotherapy practice. Thank you, Angelica Perez Litwin. Thank you for having me. And Serena Khan, Chief Executive Officer, Women's Foundation California. Thanks, Serena. Thanks so much. And we head into the weekend with another installment from our series, The Music Getting You Through 2020. This song, a rendition of What the World Needs Now by Tank and the Bangas and Friends, was sent to us by listener Cynthia. She writes, it's a hopeful reminder that love is what the world needs now. Great feeling. There's just too little what the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross. 
That's Tank and the Bangas singing a rendition of What the World Needs Now. Thanks to listener Cynthia for sharing it with us. Thanks to Blanca Torres for producing today's segment. And if you want to hear all the songs listeners are recommending, check out and follow KQED's The Music Getting You Through 2020 playlist on Spotify. I'm Ariana Prail. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.